Well, thanks for coming. We're so excited. This is, uh, this is our new series. We're starting off our new series this week. And uh, we're going to be actually going through uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, if you were here with us, oh gosh, a couple months ago, we were going through uh, Kingdom Basics with the Sermon on the Mount. And we did that for about eight, eight weeks. And uh, we're going to finish off the Sermon on the Mount. And, and uh, we're going to be talking about just love coming down from the mountain. It's just a great, I just love this series. It's going to be awesome. So please, um, you know, invite your friends. This is just a great time to see and experience the love of Jesus that came down to meet us in the valley that we're at right now. Um, so hey, I want to tell you a little story of uh, um, my old church adopted Costa Rica. They adopted a, uh, a tribe of Indians called the Cabocar Indians, and they used to go to Costa Rica. And it's kind of just a bummer because I never got to go. But I'm kind of like okay with that a little bit because I heard too many stories of people waking up with cockroaches that big going down their mouth. So, um, you know, that, that was, yeah, one guy woke up, he's gagging, oh, and he pulls out a cockroach about that big who was going down his mouth trying to eat the food that was on his teeth while he was sleeping. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that happens in Costa Rica, right? And it stays in Costa Rica when it happens there you guys know what I mean okay so um but what's interesting is you had you had my this my old church would do this for years and they built bridges and they built homes and they built all these things and sometimes they were the only white people that these Cabocar Indians ever saw in their entire life and so it was really dense rainforest jungle and what we had is we had all these really tough people that would get together uh, for six months. They would train before they went into the jungle. Because even though the jungle wasn't as steep, like as I, my old church was in Wrightwood, so you had, you know, they, they would walk and, and, and hike, do these like 10-mile hikes, and then on the weekends they would do 30 to 50-mile hikes. And they did this for six months to get ready for the jungle because the jungle is really crazy. And they would have this list of things that you needed. Um, and one of them was like these really expensive hiking boots. Because it was, it was known that you're going to go down the hills and up the hills and it's really wet and you could fall and, you know, jaguars are hunting you. And I mean, it's crazy stuff. So they would get ready for this. But, but the really interesting thing was every time they would come back, invariably you would have these people say, I wasn't prepared. I was not prepared. All the hiking I did, I mean, I knew kids that were like really in shape, like 18-year-old soccer players that were just like massively in shape. And they came back and they were like, yeah, it was still crazy for me. And, um, but the craziest part that, that I thought was really interesting, there, there was two things that really hit them because um, they would get to a point after going about 8 to 10 miles into the jungle in, in dense brush, they would get to this point where the Cabocar Indians would meet them. And they would, they would come up and they would find them and they would meet them at this one spot. And, and then there, there were two things that they were there to do. One, show them how to get through the rest of the way so they didn't get lost or hunted and killed by jaguar, which is always a good thing. And, and then the second thing was, okay, we're going to take your pack for you, which was 50 pounds. If you can imagine a 50-pound pack through the jungle. It's another reason why it was tough. Um, we're going to take your pack, so give it to the guide. And everybody was told, just give it to the guide. Don't fight with them. They're here to help you. Just give it to them. Now, the crazy thing about this is, they, 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 these, I mean, I'm talking like firefighters, police, guys that were just really tough guys, you know, just six foot. I remember I had a kid that went down there. He's six foot six, just massive kid. And he met his guide. And his guide was an 11-year-old Cabocar Indian girl. I'm not kidding. Every single guide was an 11 to 12-year-old Cabocar Indian girl, about four foot six. 
I mean, small as can be. Four foot eight is about as high as they would get. And, and that's when the, the pastor would say, now give your pack to them. Okay, these packs weighed like 20 pounds less than them. You know what I mean? These were 70-pound little girls. And here's a 50-pound pack. And they're just like, no. And I remember, I, I heard the stories from these guys. They would struggle with this because they're like, I'm a big, burly man. I'm not going to give my pack to this little, tiny Cabocar girl, you know? And plus, here are these guys in $200 hiking boots. And what are the girls wearing? I told you I'd work it in. Every single one of them is wearing these. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen these rubber boots before. I wear them when I do concrete, so there's only, uh, so I've never worn them. Um, no, <laughs> no I, 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 find, I bought these for 10 bucks at a, at a yard sale. I was like, when I do concrete, I'll use them. I used them once, so that was good. Um, these are not made for comfort. These are not made for hiking. You hike in these and you're gonna come, you're gonna pull out a bloody stump. And, and, and I just mean that. Like, it's gross. And, and here are these Cabocar Indians and the little Indian girl trail guides who are wearing these ridiculous boots. And it's like, this is just, how are they gonna know? And yet, every time you, these guys would give the pack to these little girls and they, they would just be like, uh huh, boom, and they would take off. And they were gone. Like, they would just go 10 miles with 50 pounds in their back like it's nothing. And these guys were blown away every time. And, and, and it got to a point where some of them were like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to try this on my own. And they would, a lot of times, they, that's when they would lose toenails and they would just, they died. I mean, they would literally just get to a point where they're like, okay, i got to give it to the little girl. You know, I'm going to give my pack to them. It's interesting that these men thought they could do it when these little girls could do it so much better. See, that was the hardest part of these trips for a lot of these guys, is realizing that they would get to a point, no matter how much they tried, how much they struggled, these little girls would show up in these freakish rubber boots and take over where they couldn't do it. I think that's what God wants to show us in this new series. That, that, that we have a God that's so unexpected... That he's up on that mountain. And, and, and originally, we've been taught that, no, when it comes to religion, you need to figure it out. You need to get the right boots. You need to get the right stuff. And you need to get up on and go get to God. And we have in Christianity a God who says, no, it's not about that. In fact, I'm gonna, I've got all it takes. You can't get what, you, what I have unless I give it to you. And so I'm going to come down this mountain and I'm going to meet you. And that's the idea of what we have and love came down. The most unexpected, unexpected Messiah is not so that we would have to climb it to reach him, but that they would see how he came through his son to reach us. And we have this mountain that's so insurmountable that many people get to this place and they're like, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I, I can't reach God. I can't do it. And I don't know if you were like me at one time where you tried and you were so religious and you really tried, but you just couldn't scale that mountain. And you were frustrated. And I've met so many people who've looked at that mountain and said, I can't do it, and they've walked away. But see, we were never meant to take the mountain. We were meant to be taken up by the love that came down that mountain to God. So, what I'd like to do is as we focus on this, let's go ahead and pray. But I'd like to have you stand up because we're going to go ahead and read God's word here. But my hope is that you really see this love that came down to meet us 
and take us in the most unexpected ways. Wearing things that we would never think would make it. (laughs) We have a God that does this, and it's amazing. So let's go ahead and pray really quick, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for being a God that comes down. That, that, That doesn't just sit there and say, well, you guys have blown it. You guys have screwed up. Good luck. No, but you sent your one and only son because you loved us so much. You loved the cosmos, the whole world, all people. And you sent your son to do what we couldn't do, to lead us by the hand where we could never go on our own. And the scriptures are so clear. You're so unexpected. When we look at you, it's like, oh, you're the Messiah? People looked you over many, many times and thought, that can't be the one. I'm not going to trust my burden with him. I'm not going to trust my pack with him. But the truth is, when we get to this place, we need to see that you are the one that came and you can take it. And so, Lord, I just pray as we look to you today, we have many people here with packs and burdens so heavy. And you have come to meet them to take it upon yourself so that we might now finally travel in the hands we were meant to travel in since the beginning of time. The God of heaven and earth, the King of kings, the Prince of peace, our trailblazer who came down to bring us to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. We have Jesus here talking to many on the mountain, right? And he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot on the streets. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you may be seated. Now again, it's important to remember that, that Jesus here is talking to an amalgam of many, many types of people. It says in the end of chapter 4 that many from the Decapolis came to see him. Now the Decapolis is just a fancy Greek word for ten cities. Polis and Deca, you know, we get the Decahedron or whatever. That's just the idea of ten cities put together. And that was a mix mash of many, 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 many different people, many different languages, just kind of like a, a melting pot. Very much so like what we see in America or in like New York. If you go to certain places, you see this amalgam. And that's what was going on. And we had these people that Jesus was talking to. All types. See, and, and the amazing thing about this is... I just want to say this again and again, and you've heard me say it, and I'm just going to keep saying it, because this is so important to remember. Love came down to all people. Love came down to all people. You see, when when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he's not saying, like... This to only the best people, only the brightest people, only the pretty people, only people that smell good or look good and and don't, you know, he's not doing that. 
He's talking to all types. The hodgepodge. And he says, you are. See, love doesn't discriminate. Love, love is not blind, though. It purposefully picks all people. See, Jesus had a mountaintop view to the valley below. He saw these people for who they really were. You see, we, in theology, we have this big word, and, and it's, it's really interesting. It's a really big word, but it's omniscient. And omniscient just means all-knowing. You see, and Jesus, God himself, knows everything about you and me. And from his mountaintop view, he can look down and see us, and he says, I know how bad they are, but I still choose them. I know how messed up they are, but I still choose them. I know how they screw up and they're not perfect and they, they, they blow it and they do this and they do that, but Lord, I love them. And this is what I've, he's come to you and me, to the valley. And it's you and me who are in the valley view where we discriminate and we pick and choose and we look and we bump into these people next to us and go, surely not this one, surely not that one. But God in his mountaintop view looks down at us as he comes down and says, I choose you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, it's important to remember, though, that as he's picking us, it's not because we're perfect. Again, he comes to all people, and he doesn't say, hey, you're the best. That, that's what happens a lot of times. Like, we get chosen, and, and we're like, oh, that must be because I'm so good. <laughs> no. No. It's, it's important to remember that there's two words here that I really want to use to understand our plight and the plight of everyone on the earth. It's decaying and darkened. Because there's a reason that Jesus uses these metaphors of salt and light. Because we have to look at the adverse of that. Decaying and darkened. Now, salt in that time was not like it is today. Salt was very, very highly prized. In fact, many wars were fought over salt more than it was money. Because salt was the currency. See, salt has been used since ancient times as a seasoning, a preservative, a disinfectant. There are many older texts that state over 14,000 uses for salt. You guys never thought about that, right? I never did. I'm like, seriously? 14,000 uses for salt. Years ago, salt was difficult to obtain, and so it was highly valued and traded item. Until the 20th century, salt was one of the prime movers of national economies. See, in the Middle Ages, salt was known as white gold. In the first century, Roman soldiers of their time were paid a salarium. Now, we get the modern-day word salary. How much is your salary? We get that out of the Latin or the Greek, salarium. And salarium meant salt. It's the Latin word for salt. Do you ever heard that term, you're worth your weight in salt? Yeah. Now, if somebody got their weight in salt, they'd be a rich man or a rich woman. That's the truth. Now... It was used in those days primarily for preservation or preservation. So to preserve the food. Because there's no refrigerators, right? So if you can imagine, have you ever had jerky? Jerky is used to make jerky or to take meat and preserve it. You've got to put a lot of salt on it. The more salt you put in it, it cures it, it can last longer. And in the Middle East, it was hot. The sun, the environment. So you can imagine if your food was going to be good and last, you had to use salt. And this is something that's really interesting. Most poor people, which was most of the people, would eat food that was already spoiling because they were hungry and they had to eat it. So the more salt that you had would make spoiling food taste good and you could still eat it and you wouldn't get as sick. 
So that was used commonly at that time. But you don't need to get a mountaintop view to really see the decay of the day. See, if, if Jesus is saying we're the salt, then what he's saying is the opposite is the decay. And I guess my, my thing I want to ask you right now is where is the decay creeping into your life? You see, you might not be able to see it, but you're definitely starting to smell it. When I worked at, uh, uh, up in the mountains, I, we were, had this office that was a mobile kind of, uh, a mobile manufactured home. And it was like 1,300 square feet, and it was our office. We converted it into offices. You know, in the pastor's office, and then you had the administrator's office, you had my office, and there was a bathroom, and, and it was just kind of a hodgepodge. It would get hot in the summer, cold in the winter, because there was no insulation. You know what I mean? And it was raised up off the ground. And every spring, I mean, come rain or shine, you'd walk into that place and go, oh, man, because something had crawled up underneath and died. Invariably, it always happened. Every, we had so many candles in that stupid thing because there was no, I mean, and, and it would happen for at least, all the time in spring because those animals that were too many at that time, they were dying off now because there wasn't enough food or whatever, but they just loved to come up underneath our stupid thing and die. And it was like, oh, it was so bad. And we never could find them. You don't know where they're at, but you could smell it. You know? That's the decay. You see, and many times we walk through life and, and we turn on the news or we go to school or we go to work and we smell it. We smell it. And we go, oh, I know something's wrong, but you can't really find it. And this is the decay that Jesus says, you're the salt you're to end that decay. You're to stop that, dis- that, that, that decaying aspect. You see, in your life, maybe your family has is, is just got that odor right now. You know, you're coming home and you're just like, I can smell it. I can smell it. But you know, you can't see it. You just know it's there. And every now and then you catch a whiff of this decay in your own contentment in life. Or maybe it's at work. Maybe there's something going on. You're just like, Ugh. you don't know exactly what it is, but you know it's nasty. How about that uncontrollable anger or depression or anxiety? And you're just like, it stinks. See, the truth of the decay of sin is it's always trying to destroy and break down the world around us. And Jesus comes along and says, you are the salt, the most valued thing against this decay that's common to everyone now secondly the light was also huge necessity back then because you know they didn't have electricity right and and many scholars now say that there was this time of darkness because it would it would get dark right at about like six or seven and then it wouldn't get light again about six or seven there's usually about 12 to 14 hours of darkness most people don't sleep 12 to 14 hours. And so they had this crazy time called the middle of the night watch where most people would wake up from like 2 to 4 and just sit in bed doing nothing but staring. And the early Christians would say, that's a great time to talk to God. And so when David talks about the watches of the night, he's talking about this time where you're just, uh, nothing to do because there's no light. 
And many people had, like, you had people living in one room and there was one lamp and oil was so valued. By the way, the Middle East didn't have wood like we have wood resources around us. So they didn't really burn wood. And wood lets off this really putrid thing and it would be smoke inside their house and it would be really nasty. So what they did was they took this oil, really valued oil, and they would burn that. But you can imagine if you're just a middle class person, you've got one lamp, you've got oil, and you're going, do I light it tonight? Or do we save it for a special occasion? And it's crazy. People would have been laughing when he said, do you take your lamp and put it under a box? (laughs) No, it's the most important thing in your house. Because you need to see. And by the way, you didn't travel at night either. Because there's no flashlights. And an oil lamp doesn't do well sloshing around while you're trucking through. And so you stopped. You didn't go anywhere. You stayed inside. Light. Adequate lighting. It not only kept him from seeing, it kept him from moving. Have you ever been in total darkness? That's an interesting effect. I, I recommend going to a cave. Like we, we went to this one place when we were in Missouri called Jacob's Cave. And it was really cool. And the, the, the guide did this one thing. We're like, okay, what we're going to do right now is I'm going to turn off all the lights. And we're going to sit here. And it, there's no light whatsoever. I mean, I remember sitting there in the light with my eyes wide open. You know, the light's off. It's totally dark. And I've got my hand right here in front of my face and I can't even see it. It's that dark. And pretty soon what happens is as you get, your equilibrium starts to kind of freak out. You know, it's like, because you can't tell what's up and what's down because you can't see anything. And so a lot of people in total darkness will kind of just eventually sit down and they sit on the ground or they crawl on the ground because you can't see. And so you kind of lose your bearing. And see, and today, we have many people that are not only decay, but are darkened. And we're crawling around, bumping in, running into each other, trying to figure this out, saying, are you what I need to make me, to give me the light? Like, are you going to help me? Is this going to help me? I mean, how is it that kids get trapped into drugs? How is it that, 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 that wives turn to, to Sancho and, 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 and husbands turn to Sancha, you know, and go out to these adulterous things? It's like, why do they do that? Because they're crawling around going, are you going to to help me? Are you going to help me? Are you going to make me happy? Are you going to bring me the light that I need? It's what we do without the light. It smells. We can't see. And Jesus comes along and says, you are the salt. You are the light. Has this darkness kept you from seeing the grace of God today? You see, the amazing thing about Jesus is He comes down to everyone and says, I'm giving this to you. Grace. Scandalous grace. See, if we look at the second part of this, love came down so that we could be lifted up. You are the salt. You are the light. Jesus boldly proclaims this. And this is a time in this where you just can't do that. Most of the rabbis, most of the people, the people that he says, the Pharisees, would have just been like, are you kidding me? Not that guy. Not that girl. Not that Gentile. They're not salt. They're not light. They're, they're no better than, than dogs. In fact, the religious leaders of that day, as they walked around, if they saw a Gentile, pretty much anybody, not a Jew, a good Jew, giving birth, they would say, I'm not going to help her. Because I'll just let another dog into the world. 
And here's Jesus saying, you, people who call you a dog, people who call you less than, people who call you a quitter, people who call you stupid, people who call you everything, but you are the salt, you are the light. That's epic. That's a game changer. That's huge. And you will be lifted up. God has come for you. To lift us up above the darkness, above the decay. And see, we need to remember it's not because of something internal inside of us. It's because of the love that came down. Jesus came down so that we, he might lift us up and take us with him. Even the thief on the cross, when you remember this, as he's sitting there, there's two thieves. And the funny thing is, we say thief, but the true real reality of, of the thieves on the cross, these guys didn't just go in and steal some bread, and that's why they're on the cross. Only crazy, crazy criminals got on the cross. Like people who killed, raped, murdered, many people were on the cross. So the real translation is, the guy that gets the death sentence on death row, the worst of the worst, is hanging next to both the left and the right of Jesus. And one of them turns to Jesus and says, I know you don't deserve this. I deserve it. I want to be salt. I want to be light. I'm tired of crawling around in darkness. I'm tired of stinking to high heaven. And Jesus says, surely, today, you will be with me in paradise, brother. And that's what God does. He comes down so that we might be lifted up with him. Salt offers the, uh, alters the property of decay just by being there. Light diminishes the darkness just by being there. See, and this is why he says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Because of this scandalous grace, people are like, to, to that person? To the guy on the cross? To these people? How dare you? And God's like, I dare, because I love them and I created them. See, many people today will say, you are the salt or you are the light if you do this, if you go here, if you pray this many times, if you keep walking up that mountain, then you'll be. And Jesus comes down and says, no, you are. And this is why he says that you need to grow in your righteousness, surpassing that of the Pharisees, which most people would have said, that's impossible. The Pharisees are the most righteous people. No, the Pharisees were so righteous on their own. And they could not actually get that righteousness, but they tried. They looked really good. But in reality, is they were whitewashed tombs. See, if we cling to the love that came down, then Jesus will lift us up. So what now? What now? If Jesus calls you salt and light, the question becomes simple. Will you be the salt? Will you be the light? You see, it's not about what you can do. It's about who you are in Jesus. See, salt saturates. Salt saturates. It's just the best when it's a part of the environment. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there. Right? It's just a part of it. It's not like you have to tell your salt, activate! Right? It's got voice activated salt, right? You put it in and then like give it a minute and then you're like, okay, salt. Like a clapper, right? And it just does its thing. No, salt is. It just sits there. It's, you put it on, done. Trick. It's there. It's a catalyst. I mean, it's a part of its environment and yet it changes everything. Some of you who know cooking, right? If you just add the salt, it does the trick. Because it's just a part of it. And I guess my question would be, in your calendar, 
how is the salt saturating as it sits there? As being, see, a follower of God, we've made it so easy today just to, hey, accept Him and you're good. No, it's like you are. So what is happening in your calendar? How is this transforming your life? How is just being salt changing your day? How about your work environment? Where is the salt saturating? You see, if you're placed, if you take a Christian and you place him at work, there should be a saturation. Not, there shouldn't be just a maturation. There should be a saturation. It should be something that completely changes the, the environment around. That it doesn't smell so bad because there's a preservative. There's an antiseptic. There's just this thing going on with the salt that it's like, why is this work environment so different? And people should see. They should be able to smell the difference. I've said this before, but kids, when you go to school, they should feel the salt that you are. In your home, are you saturating that home with the salt that you are through Christ? You see, this for me is tough. Because when I get home or when I do stuff, I just want to do my thing. But as I see that who I am in Christ, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm to sit with my kids and, and be what God has called me to be. To just be me in Christ and have Christ live through me as the salt in my home. And many times we don't get this. And we're thrown out. We're throwing out our spouses. We're throwing out our chances at work, our chances with our kids. And can I just say, don't do that. Be the salt that God has already called you to be. Light shines. See, it's best when it's used to reflect God. And a lot of times we get this, like, you know, a lot of times we see these, like, I don't know, I watched a lot of kids' shows with my kids when they were growing up, and it was like, you have light inside of you, and shine your light. And it's like, no, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not some Barbie uh, uh, movie, you know, or Barbie, you have light, or, you know, the, 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 the pixie movies, what is it, the, the, the Disney pixie, pixie gal, you know, from Peter Pan. There's so many things like, you are the light, uh, I can't remember, Tinkerbell. You know, Tinkerbell, you have a light inside of you, shine it out no that's not it like the truth is we're decayed and we're darkened and the bible says no man is dark we just are but see if we are called to be god's light then we're mirrors you see and we reflect his light we reflect it that's all we're called to do is to be the reflection of and that's what God called Israel to do. But what did they do? They took their stuff and they're like, no, this is for me. I'm not going to reflect my light to that dog of a person. And Jesus is like, no, you're the light. Shine it. You have God's light. See, and I, some of you I can really mess with right now because I can hone some of these and be like, ah, you know, and it's, I, okay, so when I was a kid, this is a little story. I grabbed a mirror and I was in the back seat with my dad and, you know, he's driving and I had a little mirror and I'm like, yeah. Dude, I made people almost die that day as a kid. Because I'm taking the sun in a mirror and just shining it in people's eyes. And they're driving. They're like, they're like oh! And they're like doing their thing, you know. They're like, what the heck? They're driving and almost dying, you know. The best time was when my dad got this thing called a sunflower. He was developing a laser at his work. He had a crazy stuff. My dad's just an inventor guy. And, and, and he had this thing called a sunflower from Japan. And what it did is it, it would capture the light and really hone it. And it would really make it, like, ridiculous, 
And, and it would almost become a laser and I was melting asphalt with it. That was really fun. And, and I'm not talking like it would take like, oh, I, I held it for like two minutes. No, we're talking like five seconds and I was melting asphalt. I was melting, I would go over a, a piece of glass and it would just go, and the glass would explode. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm like this little second grader just messing around with this thing. And he comes out, he's like, what are you doing? Because I could have killed something. I did, did kill a lot of bugs. But I, I could have hurt somebody, including myself. But that wasn't my power. But see, God has made you a reflector. He wants that light to shine through you, to shine into those dark places. And let me just say, if I were to shine this in the middle of the day, you wouldn't see it very well. But the more I'm shining that light in the darkest of places, the more you see that light. God said, I didn't come to the really light places. I came to the darkened. And we as Christians, we love to take God's light and say, it's for me and I'm going to stay in here and I'm going to do my stuff right here instead of going to the gutter where it's darkest, instead of going to the prostitutes where it's darkest or the drug addicts or the people that are just... I wouldn't go to that person. They're so dark. Are you kidding? That's where the light is the brightest. See... I love what Paul does in 2 Corinthians 4. He takes this shining aspect. And in 2 Corinthians 4, he says this. He says, For God, who said, Let there be light into darkness, He made this light shine also in our hearts. So we know, we could know the glory of God. We could see the light and know it, the mountaintop. And we're in the valley. And he says, Now he's brought you up so you know and you see this. And it's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. You see, Paul brilliantly says, look, people are looking at the mirror and they're going, that's not your light. And you say, absolutely it's not. You see, he's saying, it's like putting it in this clay jar, which was the modern day or the the, the medieval equivalent to a paper sack from McDonald's had cracks in it and everything else. And, and, and it's like God's put into that and there's all these cracks and it's like the light's coming out and you can't keep it in there. And that's you and me. That's you and me. See, to truly shine, we need to be see-through. We need to be see-through. You know, I've, I've had people come to me and say, wow, Chris, you're so like open with who you are. That's good for you. <laughs> no, God calls us all to be see-through. Now, I'm not saying be like me. But God doesn't want us to be like, hey, I've given you the light so you can just have it for yourself and pretend like it's all you. No, the more see-through we are, the more God is revealed. You see, when we get a chance to go to people at work and they say, why are you so perfect? And you're like, oh, no, let me tell you something. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I know I'm here and I love Jesus and everything, but the only reason I'm here is because I love, like Jesus loves me and I love him back and I care about people and you're showing it, you're shining it. When you're humble and honest, God shines through you and others see it because they know that's not you. See, I've seen this happen so many times in people that I go, that's not Jim, that's not Betty, that's God. And you can't deny that. When God shines through you, be sure to let others know that's Him. See, be see-through. That's what Paul says. 
Paul, the apostle of all apostles, the one that's really... And he wrote pretty much the whole New Testament. Two-thirds of the New Testament is written by Paul in all the epistles. And he says all the time, I am such a sinner. <laughs> I am not perfect. I don't deserve it. I don't, you know, I've done this, but honestly, it's all God through me. To live is Jesus. That's it. To live is Jesus. To die is gain. And everything I am is, I love what Paul, he just, no, no, he just says, all, all, everything is crap. He uses the word for dung in the book of Philippians. And I know some of you are like, how can he say crap? Because Paul said it. It's biblical. He says everything else is crap compared to knowing Jesus. Everything else is to be thrown out in the refuse pile, stinky and nasty. It's decay. It's decay. It's decay. But knowing Jesus and being see-through and having that light and that salt is what we need. Do me a favor. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. we got some awesome things that's going to be happening what we're talking about this next couple of weeks and months. And I'm super excited about it. And the reason I am is because this has to affect us. We, we can't just walk away and say, well, love came down, praise the Lord, and then move on. This has to be something that saturates and shines. Jesus uses these metaphors on purpose. To let us know, you are. And now follow me. Don't do it on your own. And I guess my question is really simple. As you're sitting there and you're thinking about this, where do you need to have God saturate in your life? Where is it a little stinky? You can't see it, but you know something's wrong. You know something smells a little out of sorts. Maybe, maybe it is with your calendar. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's at work. You're a different person. You're not saturating. You're just maturating. You're just becoming a part of the scenery instead of affecting it and being the antiseptic and the person. The, the, I always mess this up. Pers preservation. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. You're not preserving it. And in the, in the darkness, where there's darkness. I've walked so long in darkness when I was younger and times in my life I've had my wife tell me as she shines God's light on me and say, hey, you're dark here. And I go, no, I'm not. Leave me alone. <laughs> I walk away. But the more I let God shine His light on me, the more I go, oh man, I'm not shining my light here. I'm not allowing God's light to to penetrate. And my, my challenge to you is not just to saturate, but to shine. Paul says, we were meant to shine like the stars. You can't stop them from shining. They just shine. And even after they're dead, you see their light for thousands and thousands of years because of the distance it travels. Are you shining in the light of your classroom? Are you shining in the light of your work? Is God affecting you? My hope is that you, you allow God to do this. To truly affect you the way God wants to affect you.
and infect the world around you for the light and the salt that you are. Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. We ask now that you would just continue to reiterate in our life, to to encourage us in our life, to that we would know we are this salt and this light, and that we would know that you have a plan and a purpose, and we would be a part of what you're doing. We love you and we thank you. And my prayer and my challenge is your challenge to all of us to be as you've lifted us, lifted us up to be. Salt and light. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen.